Anyway, so last week I talked for a quick moment about Lord of the Rings. And this week, because of that, I watched a few clips on YouTube, which just got me even more excited to watch it over winter break, quite possibly twice starting in Thanksgiving break. Uh, Not too sure yet. But during some of the clips I was watching, I noticed something that I used to think was kind of random and didn't pay much attention to. I'll show you a few pictures to show you what I'm talking about. In almost every battle scene, when armies line up to charge into battle, uh, you see these little flags of different shapes and colors. You see, not the bottom one, but the top two for now. There's these just random different flags. I used to think that it just meant that some people were more patriotic than others, so they'd go buy a flag and put it on their little stick before battle. Um, But then I thought, you know, I keep seeing this over and over again, so I'm going to look it up a little bit. But what those are actually called is they're called uh, army standards or uh, like war standards or banners is another common word we would use in ancient warfare. That's what they were called. So they weren't a fashion statement. They were there for a purpose. They were usually attached to the staff or pole, as you can see, and they were used as a rallying point or a symbol of pride or a... Like uh, a way of communicating. Um, So, for example, a trumpet, which you guys, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know, a trumpet would sound and all of the troops would look to the banner that was in their section to know what action had to be taken. Uh, So the bottom picture, if you've seen The Hobbit, uh, in what people would do with these flags is they would either lower them, raise them, move them, twirl them, whatever. Like the like in the in the the Hobbit in the bottom one that thing moves up and down it does like this like sideways thing it does a few like really cool things it's a more fancy version, um, but all that was essentially to communicate or change an information information or tactic does it make sense? Mm-hmm. So you might like I said remember that in the Hobbit, but soldiers needed especially in ancient warfare they needed banners so that during battle at any point they could find direction. To do what they like, uh, for what to do and for where to go. So we all look to something for direction. In the middle of what sometimes feels like war, when nothing seems to be going right, when we feel defeated, when we feel down on ourselves or confused or overwhelmed, we all look to something to find direction or purpose. The question is, what banner do we look to? So continuing in our Roman series, that's what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to invite Sonia to come all the way up from the back as I continue to say this slowly so she can get here well, so that she can read our scripture tonight. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So if you guys want to get your Bibles out and get there. Therefore, there is no, whoa. <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires, but those who live accordance to the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit of life is life and peace. 
The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, but it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you, thank you. So as we said before, we all look to something. We want and need something to give us direction when everything is falling apart, to give us purpose when everything feels purposeless, and to give us uniqueness when we feel like just another person living just another ordinary life. Paul just finished before this spending three chapters comparing and contrasting the Christian versus the non-Christian, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness, and now continues with the language of the flesh and the spirit. So after clarifying the difference between the two, he comes to this pinnacle conclusion that this is the banner Christians look to at all times. They look to the banner that says, there is therefore now no condemnation. It is an unspeakable privilege and comfort that there is no condemnation. Paul doesn't say, however, that there is no accusation against us. For like Pastor Chris pointed out two weeks ago, there is, but the accusation has been thrown out. Paul doesn't say that there's nothing to, uh, that, that we do that doesn't deserve condemnation. For if we're honest, we know our own thoughts, we know ourselves, and we know we could never stand in front of God and believe that we are worthy of doing so. Condemnation is when there is an argument or a trial brought against you, your actions and your intentions. And when you stand trial for these things, we are left guilty of selfishness. And when we are left guilty, we are therefore condemned. But Paul says there is a banner that you can look to that says, although there is accusation and rightly so, there is no condemnation. So why does this even matter? A lot of us might not even feel like we're deserving or worthy of condemnation. It matters because we all feel things like being overwhelmed, like being cut down when we beat ourselves up or we feel beat up. We feel confused or critiqued or criticized or we just don't quite live up to the standard of good. And what do we do? We always look to something, to a banner as a point of stability and a way to find direction. The question is, does the banner you look to actually give you real purpose and real direction? And does the banner that Paul is talking about actually give us that either? So to figure this out, there are three things about this banner Paul is talking about we have to know. We have to know who Paul says it's for. We have to know why Paul says we need it. And we have to know how Paul says we can have it. So let's pray and we'll get started. <clears throat> Jesus, our lives are but vapors, meaning little, doing little. You are the only one that lasts forever. Oh, Jesus, may we not live and waste what little time we have. May we look to you. May we love you. May we glorify you. And may you be seen tonight, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So <clears throat> I have a best friend named Lucas. He was uh, Chi Alpha's first small group leader seven years ago. And he took me in at a time when I was homeless. Which, yes, at one point I was homeless. It was actually a purposeful, like, what's that called? Uh, I chose to be homeless, you could say. Because I had a house 15 minutes from campus. I had a room there, but 15 minutes in Las Cruces is forever, so I didn't want to live over there. Instead, I wanted to live at my office, which was by the mall, halfway between my house and campus. Uh, so I had a box of clothes under my desk. I used my boss's couch as a bed. I would use the office microwave to make my dinners. 
and I would use the office gym membership across the street to brush my teeth and shower. Um, but one day, Lucas invited me over to his apartment, which was really close to where I lived. I really, much, I very much enjoyed myself, and so I decided I wasn't going to leave. And so during all this time, we lived together in a one-bedroom apartment. I slept on the couch. My closet was the hallway coat closet when you first walk in. And during that time, we found out we both very much love action movies. We love the intense movies that have you wondering what's going to happen next almost the whole time. And the greatest moment in these kind of movies, the moment where the tension is released, is always when people are rescued from places or situations they were never meant to be in in the first place. Why is that usually a big deal? Because we as an audience know that now that they're safe. Why? Because they're returning to where they actually belong. In other words, their return to their rightful home leads to the raising of the rightful banner over their heads. That's what it's like for the Christian. There is therefore no more condemnation. But for who? Is it for us? How do you know it's for you? It's for the person who once lived in the kingdom of selfishness, for their own self-happiness. But that banner only belongs to the one who lives for God's happiness in his kingdom. Now, there are many Christians by name, but very few by nature. We in this room may very well think that we have the privilege of living under this banner. But how do we actually know if it's for us? Paul says in verse 5 that those who live according to the flesh have their minds on the flesh. So you know what kingdom you live for by looking at your own thoughts. When Paul says in this passage that some are after the flesh, some are after the spirit, he's essentially just saying that some are worldly oriented, some are eternally oriented. How do you know which one you are? If I were to look at your thought lives, we could ask the question is, which, which direction do our thoughts go with the most pleasure? Which way do our thoughts move with the most pleasure? What do we think about with most satisfaction? What truths and comforts do we find joy in the most? In other words, you show me what you think about most, and I will show you the God you worship. You show me what comes to your mind when you don't have to think about something. In other words, your default thoughts, your screen, the screensaver of your mind, if you will. And I will show you the God you really serve. Why? I'll tell you. Because thoughts are to your soul what bones are to the body. The worldly oriented mind thinks about itself all the time. How it feels. How I'm offended. What I want. What I don't have. The money I would like to make one day. The grades I must have if I'm going to feel valuable at this university. In other words, the worldly oriented mind will think about anything but God. In other words, your soul is kept together with things that don't even last and don't even matter. They might be video games, TV shows, relationships, grades, careers, things we want. All of which are not bad in and of themselves. But when good things become ultimate to you, that's when they take the place of God in your life. The banner of no condemnation is not for this person. Paul says it's for the person who is eternally minded. The one who has their thoughts on eternal things. This is the person that longs to have what Jesus wants. That longs to live for what Jesus lives for. That wants to hate what Jesus hates. His ultimate thought, his or her ultimate thought, is the happiness of God. The default thought of this spirit-led person is Jesus. 
and what he loves and what we can do with and for him. That's who Paul says this banner is for. The banner of no condemnation belongs only to the kingdom of God and those who live in it. How do we know if that's us? Well, again, Paul says to look at your thought life. We could ask all the questions and find out the God each one of us really serves. So the question is, why as a Christian do we even need a banner? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't being Christian be enough? Wouldn't saying a prayer be enough? Wouldn't calling myself a Christian be enough? Wouldn't coming to Chi Alpha and small group be enough? Allow me to tell you a story to help answer this. In middle school, I was what I might call a wannabe thug. Uh, I was friends with a guy whose brother was in a gang in Santa Fe, but the only real gangs in New Mexico are in Roswell. And so either way, I wanted to be like him. That is almost, that's actually the office I worked at, uh, where I would stay the night. But nonetheless, I wanted to be like this guy and his brother. So I wore South Pole sweaters. I wore shoes that were a half a size too big, and I wore Echo jeans. I might have a picture of that up, maybe. Oh, is that not that picture that I just showed? I don't think you want to see that. Oh, I don't. No? No, there's no shoes, no jacket, no pants? No. Bummer. That's okay. It looked really bad anyway. But anyway, so I wore all these things. And this, of course, just didn't make me much of a ladies' man. Uh, so I didn't get attention from the girls like I would have liked. But one day there was a lockdown in middle school. And uh, what happened? Uh, what happened? What happened? What happened? Oh, yeah, there was a gun. There was a shooter. There was a gunman at, at a Walgreens nearby, less than half a mile away. And so I was in a cooking class in which I never got to actually cook. I got expelled before our first cooking assignment. But that's neither here nor there. But after the lockdown, um, is there a picture of the school? Yes. That is the exact picture of the hallway. Around the corner to the right over there is some lockers in which the setting I'm about to tell you about. But so after the lockdown, all the students run out of the classrooms. Everyone is freaking out. And I was just trying to get to my locker. But these two girls who I happen to be kind of friends with run up to me. They're freaking out. And they hug me and they say, oh my gosh, Taylor, I'm so glad you're okay. And I, you know, which of course meant I was thrilled. And so I was like, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, like, I mean, of course I'm okay, my angels. Like, what do you need? Um, but then they wouldn't let go of me. After that, they kept wanting to know, they kept asking these rhetorical questions. I could, at least they felt rhetorical. And they kept saying, what should we do now? Do we go to class? Do we call our parents? Should we just marry you so you can protect us? And I'm like, the last one might work as well. But essentially... This big chaotic mess left these girls and other students this innate need to figure out what to do next. In other words, another way to say it would be disaster instills a need for direction. Everyone goes through disaster. Everyone suffers. Everyone gets hurt. Everyone falls, fails miserably at something and attempts to succeed at something else. And Paul is saying that we have to look at the banner of no condemnation for direction and purpose when this happens. Why? Because even the Christian can look for direction in the wrong things. If you're a Christian, you know what it's like probably to feel like you've never done enough, like you're not doing enough, like you aren't good enough, not to read enough, you're not kind enough, you're not patient enough, you don't pray enough, you're not disciplined enough, or whatever that blank is for you. And you know how devastating it feels. You know how easy it is to beat yourself up over it, to feel horrible, to feel far from God, to feel like you have to work even harder tomorrow just so that you have a right to be with him. 
That is a war. It's a war between us and our selfishness. And when we lose, it feels disastrous. And in a war, when a soldier got separated for whatever reason, they would look for their banner so they could know where to go next and how to get back. In the middle of fighting with our own self-centeredness, if we lose, if we get beat down, if we miss the mark, Paul is saying, you look to this banner for your purpose and for your direction. Because if you don't, you'll do everything to make yourself feel better. Anything and everything, good and bad. You'll try to get back to God or ignore that you've hurt him at all. For example, the person trying to get back to God, you'll see them, they'll read three hours the next day. They'll pray three hours the next day. They'll go serve their wife or their husband or their friends. They'll honor them and talk to them and listen to them more than they ever have. Why? Because they don't want to feel so condemned. Others of us will throw ourselves into studying, into relationships, into getting money, playing games, or whatever business we can to get our minds off of how bad we feel and how bad we are. The problem is that doing it to build yourself up will only leave you empty, hurt, and busy. So how does it leave us empty? It's like those uh, really nice thousand piece puzzles that some people like to do. Each piece has another distinct piece or two or three that it connects to. Some can be close, but only one can be right. Anything but the right piece leaves a wrong amount of emptiness between them, no matter how hard you try to fit it in. That's what it looks like when each one of us tries to find direction or purpose from anything but God. Your heart is a distinct, eternal peace that only fits right with the distinct, eternal God. Paul knows that when you try to fit a piece to your heart that was originally made for God, that it's going to be too small and it's going to leave you very empty. And then it leaves us hurt. When life beats you down, when you fail and feel lonely, when you feel depressed, when you don't live up to your own standards, we will try to find direction in anything. When we find direction in the wrong things, it's painful for us and for others. How do I know? Because wrongness always draws attention to itself. For example, you never notice some parts of your body until they're in pain, until something's wrong. Another good one is you never really notice the lights in a room until they're not working, until something's wrong with them. Wrongness always draws attention to itself. You know that you find direction and purpose in the wrong things when they draw attention to themselves. What do I mean? For example, that's when we think things like, I don't do enough, I don't read enough. Our reading and our doing are where we're finding direction and purpose. Or when you give a lot of attention to how you look, or how someone treats you, or how I feel ignored, or if we feel stupid, or we get down on ourselves. In other words, these things that we give ourselves to, these things that we give purpose to, when we don't have them, they draw attention to themselves, and we're upset when we don't have them. As a result, this hurt and this emptiness, we just try to get busy so that we don't have to feel the hurt or the emptiness. So we do a lot of things so we don't have to think about it. Or we compare ourselves So that when we do think about it, we can at least say, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that girl. At least I'm not that bad. But C.S. Lewis says, we, or our pride, gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. In other words, you're only going to feel full 
when you're more successful, when you're more intelligent, if you're more good looking or if you're more godly than the next person in the room. When you're in the presence of someone greater than you, you lose pleasure in everything you had. The question is, are you okay getting second place? Are we okay with the silver medal or do we have to be better? Do we have to be the best one? And if so, why? Paul says, in a disaster, the Christian must look to the banner of no condemnation. Why? Because if you do, you don't need to do good to get yourself back to God because Jesus has already done the ultimate good to get you back to himself. When there is therefore no condemnation, you're free to do good for anyone but you. Before, when you're under condemnation, you do good only for you so that you feel better, so that you feel right, so that you don't feel as bad about yourself. When there is no condemnation, you can do good for anyone but you. And this doesn't mean what modern Christians I've heard like to say it does. It doesn't mean you can mess up as often as you want. You don't have to try hard to love God well. You can mess up and it's fine and you'll just, you're not under condemnation. That's not what it means. The real Christian messes up and it destroys them. But now they don't have to try to make themselves feel better. All they do is they look to the banner and remember there is no condemnation. And then they're free to get back up and do good again. The question is, how do we actually get there? How on earth can we have this incredible confidence about ourselves, but admit at the same time that we are one of the worst in the world? How can we have these moral flaws and still have confidence in ourselves? We all have had problems like something like what I'm about to say at some point. Everyone wants to be validated somehow, some way. Some people desperately want it from another from a friend, from people, from whoever we might admire. Other people pridefully try to validate themselves. For example, when I came to NMSU, I loved wearing my baseball clothes all the time. And whenever they were dirty, I would wash them immediately so I could wear them the next day. Why? Because I had a very low self-esteem and I needed other people to look at me and give me this verdict of importance. Oh, you play baseball? You're important. So that's why I would wear my stuff all the time. I'd wash it every day so I could wear the same three shirts four times a week, whatever. But I wanted an external verdict. I needed someone to look at me and say that I was important because I didn't believe I was. Others will try to say things like, well, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm okay with myself. It just matters what I think. And that's all that matters that I'm happy with myself. Essentially, they're trying to give themselves an internal verdict. But this is the point. Often, When there is a self-esteem problem, we either try to fix it by getting an internal verdict or an external verdict saying that we're important. When we royally mess up, and I know if we're honest, we have, we always want a verdict on ourselves. We either want an internal one or an external one. We want someone to tell us that we're good or that you're just not really that bad. You're not as bad as you think. Or we'll try to tell ourselves, I'm actually, I'm actually pretty good. I'm not as bad as I think or as bad as they say. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying you don't need an internal verdict or an external verdict. You need an ultimate verdict. Every day you go to trial. We go to trial. Every day our character and identity is standing trial. And everything you do either stamps for the prosecution or it stamps for the defense. 
Some days you feel like you're winning the trial. You do good. You read enough. You serve someone. Whatever good might whatever mean to you. And some days you feel like you're losing the trial. So how can we be confident even when we're losing the trial? Romans chapter 8. This banner. This is the secret. The secret is that the trial is already over. The verdict has already been rendered. My judgments of myself, your judgments of me, none of which matter. The only, only the gospel judgment of me matters and only its verdict matters. Does that make sense? Yeah. And this banner, what we've just read, says the verdict is already in. There's no more trial. Why? Because Jesus went to trial for you. In verse 3, Paul said that because our verdict was never going to be, it was never going to turn out good for us. God sent the one that he loved most to go to trial for us. Why is there no condemnation for us? Because Jesus on the cross took it all. You and I rightly deserve accusation. We deserve a guilty verdict. We deserve to feel condemned. But that's what the cross is. It's the banner that says there's no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus was given the verdict we deserve so that we could have the unchangeable and irreversible verdict only he deserves. In other words, we don't have to fight to be good to get a good verdict for ourselves. The verdict is already in, no matter what you do. Now, the verdict leads to you actually fighting to be good. It means you don't need to do good for yourself because the ultimate good has already been done for you. Now, when someone criticizes you, it doesn't destroy you. You get excited because it's an opportunity to improve Now you don't get upset when someone ignores you. It just doesn't matter. Now you're not mad if someone doesn't affirm you. It just doesn't matter. Does that make sense? Now in the middle of disaster, of suffering, of hurt and failure, Paul is saying the Christian looks to the banner of no condemnation and finds direction again. I'm pretty much done. I'll tell you a story and we'll finish up. There was a woman who had a daughter who ran away from home at the age of 15 to prostitute herself and live however she wanted because she wasn't home anymore. The day after she ran away, the mom put up posters all over their little town saying that if they found her daughter to tell her that she would be at this particular building at 7 p.m. every evening. 13 years later, this now 28-year-old daughter comes back into town. She's hurt. She's heartbroken, she's used, and she's lonely. She walks by a poster that had a picture of her 14 or 15-year-old self, and she sees an address. So with her head down, not expecting much, because this paper looks extremely old and extremely weathered, she went to the address. And standing out in the rain in front of the building at 7 p.m. was her mom. She walked over to her, and this little girl, this 28-year-old girl with tears streaming down her face, looks at her mom and says, Can I still, after all this time, come home? And the mom stands up from the chair she sat in for 13 years, put her hands on her her daughter's face, and says, You are my daughter. You are always welcome home. Some of you know how hard it is to hurt God's heart, to continually sin like a dog that returns to its vomit, and then to try to feel like we don't, like we're not condemned. I actually think that the greatest act of faith for the Christian is to believe that God loves us as much as he says he does 
and that he really will accept us as freely as he says he will. Why is this the greatest act of faith? Because you can't find love and acceptance like it anywhere else in the world. No one is like God. No one's love is like God's love. We get upset. We don't want to love someone. We get hurt. We don't want to forgive them. But God isn't like us. He said the verdict is already in and it's irreversible. Tonight, I think I'm going to invite Justin back up, wherever he might be. Tonight, if you've ever had a hard time coming to Jesus without feeling like you needed to do something good before you could come back, tonight you need to lay that down. You just need to come because he said you can. We don't need tonight to pray harder so that we feel more worthy. We don't need to pretend we're better so we don't feel less condemned. We just need to come to Jesus empty-handed saying this, with nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. The cross is his banner over us that says now there is no condemnation. It doesn't matter how bad you feel, how much you've hid, how much you've been, you've been too proud to admit, there is now no condemnation. And if you don't love Jesus, then sadly this banner is not for you. But it can be. Jesus already lived the life you should have lived, as Tim Keller would say, and died the death we each deserve to die so that we could have this free access to God that only he deserves. The gospel in Isaiah chapter 11 is compared to a banner. And on the banner, written in gold and written in blood, is love. Because Jesus always enlists his soldiers under the banner of love. The banner is where his soldiers must always have their eyes. If you want the banner of the gospel waved over your head, not because Jesus has triumphed over you, but because he's finally triumphed in you, then you need to come to the altar and you need to tell him that yourself. And then you need to tell your friends. I'm going to pray. And then I hope that for the first time, whether we've prayed much, whether we've read much, whether we've been gone for 13 years or more, that we really believe with all our heart that we can come to Jesus and because he says we can always come home. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm going to pray and we'll have a little bit of time to be with the Lord. And then I hope you guys go home and then go to him just as freely. Jesus, we love you. Lord, life, our names, what we live for, our own glory, all these possessions, they are all gone in a moment. But you never are, God. Father, you you have to open eyes. Holy Spirit, you have to, to convict our hearts. Lord, may no one be able to sit in your presence and just pretend like you're not here. Be here, Lord. Show us exactly how you see us. And then show us how freely you're willing to take us back. You are so good. And we love you with all of our hearts. Jesus, we just want to see more of you. In your name, amen.